my name is Brittany. I um, work here at Riverwood. I've worked here for seven years. Um, a little bit about me, I'm in school. I'm finishing up my Bachelor of Theology. Um, I have two sisters, one older, one younger. I'm smack in the middle, and I have every single characteristic of a male child. And um, my older sister actually just got engaged on Friday, so I am super excited. Uh, <laughs> She's going to hate that I said that. But uh, I'm so, so excited to, to get another brother. And so now I have a, a little brother and an older brother who's technically younger than me. But that's OK. I consider him my older brother, and I'm so excited. Uh, anyways, I think that you, know, you can learn a lot about someone through their family. And so if you were to talk to my siblings about me growing up, they would uh, teach you a lot about how I was raised, how I, how I grew up, how I grew out of certain phases, certain phases that I had. And you know, I went through a, a phase, I would say it's a small phase, but they would probably say it was quite a long phase, where I was such a brat. Like, and not the kind of brat where I was like really disobedient or anything because I believed in obeying my parents for the most part. Um, but I was the kind of brat where I was a know-it-all. And you know that those are the worst kinds of brats that there are. I just thought that as like, you know, a 10, 11, 12-year-old, that I had all the knowledge in the world that I would ever need. That anyone older than me, I'd probably surpass their knowledge. Like, I had to have been the smartest person alive. And this was literally my mindset. And so the worst way that this would come out is that I thought that I knew more than my parents knew. And so um, my younger sister, she's five years younger than me. And so it was enough time that whatever phase she was in, I already had lived that phase. And so I knew a lot then about the phase that she was going through. And I knew a lot about how my parents should ch parent a child who was in that phase. And so my parents would be disciplining Carly, because Carly, she was the disobedient one of the family, you see. And so they'd be disciplining her in some way. Um, and I would tell my parents that they were doing it wrong. I said, parents, if you want to raise this child well, you got to raise her this way. You have to discipline her this way. They did not like that. I also had a thing, and this was probably the worst part. Uh, we would be having family dinner, and I would often bring up this book that I was going to write. I had already start started all my notes for the books, and I had all my chapters outlined, but it was going to be a parenting book. And it was going to outline all of the things that my parents did that I didn't like, and I thought that they should do better. And so, you know, they would be um, talking about what we had to do or like giving us chores. Every Saturday morning, we had to have chores. And I'd go to them, I said, well, you know, chapter 23 of my book, so it's going to be a very long book. <laughs> chapter 23 of my book is all about Saturday mornings and how you should, um, you know, let your kids have fun on Saturday mornings. And I would outline all the reasons why I thought that this was a good idea. I don't know why my parents kept me around. Like, seriously, <laughs> God graced them so well to be able to handle me. But you see, I thought I knew everything, and I allowed my, my experience and my perspective to determine what I believed to be true, rather than starting with something that was true and allowing that to determine my perspective. And so we're starting a series all about different cultural trends, and it's called Rebels with a Cause, and the reason for this is that I believe that to be radical disciples of Christ, that we need to be rebels against culture, that there are certain cultural trends that we have just latched onto as young people that are so unhealthy for us, and that if we were to go against them, that we could become so much closer to God, and that we could bring so much, so many more other people also closer to him and to know him. And so tonight, we're starting with the trend called speak your truth. And now, this has been something that's been around for, for centuries, but it became extremely popular after the Golden Globes of 2018, where Oprah did her, her well-known speech. 
And in this speech, he said, to speak your truth is the most powerful tool that we have. And I actually love the context that she was speaking in because she was speaking about women who have experienced sexual abuse. And she was saying how um, we need to be speaking out about that, that there's so much darkness in this world that we need to shed light on it. And when we shed light on it, that's when we can find healing and redemption and forgiveness. And so she was saying, women, speak your truth, speak your story, speak what has happened to you. And I, I love that aspect of this. And so I want to just be clear that that's not what I'm talking about tonight. What I'm talking about is this idea that we say, speak your truth, as in, speak just whatever your truth is. What's true for you might not be true for me, and what's true for me might not be true for you, so I'm not going to oppose my truths on you, and you can't oppose your truths on me. And we've started this, this type of tolerance game, where we just go back and forth, just sharing our opinions as if they're absolute truth, we're sharing our perspectives as if they're absolute truth. Uh, we live in a post-truth world where we believe that experience and, and emotion is actually more important than fact and data. We see this all the time with fake news. Fake news has been around for a while, and it's actually, it's estimated that fake news is 70% more likely to be reposted on social media than the actual truth. And think about it, why do you think this is? I think that's because it triggers an emotion in us. It, it gets us either angry or, or really excited, and we crave to have those emotions. We want to have those really high emotions, and the truth, that's, that's just boring, that's just super mundane. We live in a world where YouTubers and social media influencers, they've become our news source. And, and why is that? It's because we feel like they are like us, they're like the normal ones, right? And, and we like to listen to those who we have a personal connection with. We have a personal connection more with a, a social media influencer than we do a news broadcaster. And although those social media influencers, I don't have anything against them, but although they might not have the actual facts, they might not actually be in the field, they might not actually have the knowledge, they, we tr tend to trust them more than those who actually do because we have that, that personal connection. And so it's this tolerance game where where we can believe whatever we want based off of just perspective, based off of upbringing, based off of our personality, or, or just any sort of experience. But what if, what if we were never meant to base truth off of our experience, but we were supposed to start with the foundation of truth? And so we're gonna dig into scripture, into the book of Romans, Romans 1. If you have your Bible, pull it out. If you have your phone, pull it out. Let's, let's actually get in and, and study this together. You know, I think that when we actually open up scripture, when we take notes, when we write in the margins of our Bibles, that we get to learn so much more. We engage so much more. I find if I listen to a message and just leave right after and didn't write anything down, there's no chance I'm going to remember anything. So I encourage you, when you come, bring your Bibles, bring a notepad, um, write it in your phone, whatever you need to do so, so that you actually engage and we can actually learn together as a community. So anyways, Book of Romans. The author of Romans, his name is Paul. He was an apostle. He was, um, had this incredible divine encounter with, with Christ, and then he was sent out to be a church planter. And he was one of the greatest church planters who, who ever lived. And usually when Paul, he wrote a lot of the letters in the New Testament, and usually when he wrote these letters, he wrote them to churches that he had planted, that he heard about some conflict that they had or some issues in their church or their city, and so he was responding to that. But the book of Romans is different because Paul hadn't actually been to Rome at this time. Paul didn't plant the, the church in Rome. 
And so when he writes this letter to them, he's not writing because if there's a specific conflict he's trying to solve or um, he's speaking to anything that's going on specifically in that church. When he writes this letter, he's speaking about an issue with all of humanity. And so we open up Romans 1, starting in verse 18. I'm reading from the voice version. It says, For the wrath of God is breaking through from heaven, opposing all manifestations of ungodliness and wickedness by the people who do wrong to keep God's truth in check. These people are not ignorant about what can be known of God because he has shown it to them with great clarity. From the beginning, creation and its magnificence enlightens us to his nature. Creation itself makes his undying power and divine identity clear, even though they are invisible. And it, and it voids the excuses and ignorant claims of these people because despite the fact that they knew the one true God, they have failed to show the love, honor, and appreciation due to the one who created them. Instead, their lives are consumed by vain thoughts that poison their foolish hearts. They claim to be wise, but they have been exposed as fools, frauds, and con artists. Only a fool would trade the splendor and beauty of the immortal God to worship images of the common man or woman, bird or reptile, or the next beast that tromps along. So God gave them just what their lustful hearts desired, and as a result, they violated their bodies and invited shame into their lives. How? By choosing a foolish lie over God's truth, they gave their lives and devotion to the creature rather than the creator himself, who is blessed forever. Amen. So Paul, he's, he's warning the Roman people, he's really warning all of humanity that they are accepting all of these foolish lies, all of these dumb trends that culture was, was putting on them. He was, they were trading all of them for God's perfect and beautiful truth. And when I talk about truth tonight, when I talk about God's truth tonight, what I'm talking about is that which is consistent with the mind, the will, the character, the glory, and the being of God. This is truth. That which is consistent with the mind, the will, the character, the glory, and the being of God. Now, I want to put a bit of a disclaimer before I go any further into this message. I want to say that tonight I am speaking on a foundation that what the Bible says is true. I'm speaking from a foundation that there is no error in scripture. But I understand that there are people in this room that, that don't have that foundation, that don't share that common belief. And I wanna say that if you don't share that common belief, we still love having you here. You are still part of this community, you are still integral to this community, you belong here even if you don't believe what we believe. But tonight, the message, I'm not gonna try to prove why the scripture is true. This is not an apologetics message, this is not a deep theological message. What I'm talking about is simply the trends that we started following and how to get back to the truth that is in scripture. And if you don't believe what I'm talking about, again, that's fine, but go back and maybe see why do you believe what you believe? And maybe like start to, start to look into that for yourself as just as a, as a bit of a baseline, but I'm not gonna get into it or try to prove it tonight. Um, so let's start with this question. Let's start with the question, why is speaking your truth? The idea that everyone can have their own truth, that the idea that what is true for you doesn't need to be true for me, why is this so flawed? And I think it's flawed because if it is okay to speak your truth, then anything could be true. You see, we don't get to have it both ways. We don't get to say, you know, what's true for some people isn't true for others, and that there is some sort of absolute truth in the world. If there's absolute truth in the world, then what is true for me needs to be true for someone else. 
And, and what about rights and wrongs? If there is no such thing as absolute truth, then how can you say absolutely anything is, is right or wrong? A world in which we all just speak our own truth, a world in which what's true for me doesn't need to be true for you, I think is a world of absolute chaos. And, and look around us. We are living in a world of absolute chaos. Maybe not in our immediate community, maybe we don't see it super closely in our lives, but if we look beyond just our own personal lives, I think the world is so chaotic. Governments are so corrupt. Organizations and businesses are extremely discriminatory. The judicial, judicial system is preying on the weak and the vulnerable, and religion is creating more conflict than it does peace. If you agreed with any one of those statements, those statements itself might not be the truth, but there has to be some sort of foundation under there that says, yeah, we believe in an absolute truth. We believe in a truth that is able to point out this is right and this is wrong. But we like to trade the truth for just our opinions. And, and opinions are something totally different. Opinions are, you know, I like ham and pineapple pizza, or I like listening to Taylor Swift and the Jonas Brothers. Like, those are opinions. And if you disagree with me, I'll judge you. But, like, you do you in that case, okay? But, so I'm not talking about just opinions. I'm talking about things that we, we base our life off of. Uh, Romans 1, 19, what we just read, it says, These people are not ignorant about what can be known of God, because he has shown it to them with great clarity. From the beginning, creation and its magnificence enlightens us to his nature. Creation itself makes his undying power and divine identity clear. It has been made clear to us what is true. It has been made clear to us what is absolute. It is so clear. All we have to look, do is look around. But when we say that anything can be true, that, that we can all have our own truth, that we can all speak our own truth, what we're doing is we're just justifying ourselves. I think that we like to have you know, a little bit of belief here, a little bit there, and a little bit there, but I want to do what, what I want to do, so I'm going to just pick what I believe to be true. And we justify our actions. And yes, we have the freedom to speak our truth. We have the freedom to decide what we want to be true. We live in a world that there's free will. We're allowed to do it. But just because we have the freedom to doesn't mean that it's actually true. Like we have the, the grand piano out in, in the foyer. You have the freedom, if you wanted to, to go and play that grand piano. Like, no one's really going to stop you. You can go and play. But you might go and play, and if you know nothing about piano, it is going to sound absolutely terrible. And then Jordan's going to come, and he's going to make you stop and offer to teach you piano lessons. But, which it could actually work really well. Um, but you have the freedom to go do it, but just because you can go do it does not mean that it is going to sound good. We have the freedom to speak whatever we want to speak, but just because we speak it does not mean that it is true. So that is the first flaw, that if you believe anything can be true, if you believe that we can all just speak our own truth, that means that there can't be absolute truth, that anything can be true. And the second flaw is that you make yourself into the ultimate authority. When we decide that we can speak our own truth, it's saying, I'm the boss. I get to decide what is good. I get to decide what is right. I'm pretty much my own God. And Romans, um, Romans 1.25, it says, they gave their lives and devotions to the creature rather than the creator himself. Why would I trust a creature rather than trusting the creator when I can have direct access to the creator? It's like 12-year-old me when I thought that I was so much smarter than my parents. 
and that I knew everything? Well, obviously, I didn't because they were so much older than me. They had experienced so much more than me. They had actually created me, right? So they know so much, so much more. And when we think that we have the authority, when we think that we can just speak our own truth, we're saying we're just pretty much stuck in the, in the little kid's mind. We, we think small. We think only based off of our own experiences where we could be thinking based off of who God says we are and what, and what God says. You know, if I were to actually have parented myself, if my parents had given into that and been like, yeah, wh whatever, you think you know it all, you can just do whatever, that would have gone so bad. Like, I'd probably be very obese right now because all I would have eaten was, you know, pizza pops and, and ramen noodles. That would have been my entire diet. I would have um, been extremely shy and insecure because I would have hated people and I would have stayed in my room and just read all the time. And I would have never had personal interaction because I hated that when I was growing up. I needed to be challenged. I needed someone to actually like push me out of the house. Um, I would not be very disciplined. I wouldn't know what it's like to discipline myself and to actually push myself. And I would have very little knowledge because you can only actually teach yourself so much when you're young. So when we think that we have the, the authority to speak our own truth, We've run the risk of getting stuck in like a little child's mind forever when we could have the expansive knowledge of truth that God is willing to share with us. And the third flaw, the third flaw is that we are building our lives backwards. When we're speaking our truth, we begin to build our lives from reality up instead of from truth up. There's this book called Room. It came out in 2010, and then they made a movie in 2015. Fantastic book and movie. Highly recommend it. But it's a story of this little boy who's five years old, and his name is Jack. And Jack's mom, he, she was kidnapped when she was a teenager, and she was kept captive in this small room for seven years. And so she had Jack, and Jack, he's five now, and so that's all he'd ever known. He was, he was born that w in this room. He had never been outside of this room. He had never experienced anything outside. And so his mom, wanting him to still have a decent life, all within this room, she decides to let him believe that there's nothing else out there, that everything that exists in the universe is just in this small room, that there are only three people in the entire universe, her, her son, and their kidnapper, that there's nothing beyond that. And so, so this is Jack's truth. Jack's truth is that the universe does not go beyond this room that everything exists is just in this small space. But we know when we watch that, that that's not true. That might be his perspective. That might be what only what he sees. But we know that there's a whole universe out there with, with plants and animals and, and so many more human beings. And one day, Jack's mom, she decides that they need to break free because they won't survive if they stay in this room much longer. And so um, she gets him to pretend to fake dead so that the kidnapper brings him outside and then he's able to run away and get help. And when she does this, when she's preparing him, she needs to teach him what is actually true. She needs to prepare him and say, everything that you grew up with, everything that you've based your life off of, that was just your perspective. But what is actually true is that there's a whole world out there that you get to experience. And so she had to reset his belief system she had to flip his life upside down and put it so that truth started and then built its way up to perspective and reality. And so 
I'm going to show you a little bit about what it's like. I asked my dad to make me a sermon prop. He's like, yeah, sure, how big do you want it? I'm like, yeah, maybe a foot. And he creates this. So it's a lot bigger than I thought. Anyways, so we have reality, we have perspective, and we have truth. And this is kind of what it is like in the world. We start off with our reality. We start off, we grow up in the church. And when we're growing up in the church, it's a really traditional church, and, and they have really high standards of what our lives need to be like. And so we grow up knowing that if we don't meet these standards, that we've somehow failed, and somehow we just always end up making mistakes, and we feel extremely judged in the church. And so our perspective then, our perspective that is built on top of that, is that the church is super judgmental, that the church doesn't actually care about our well-being, all it cares about is a bunch of rules and making sure that we follow them. That's all that the church wants to do. And then we build our truth off of that. <laughs> this is why I wanted it smaller. <laughs> all right. It's all good. I've been going to the gym. Getting my arm workout. Okay. So we build our truth off of that. And the truth is that God is an extremely judgmental God and doesn't actually care about relationship. All he cares about is that we follow his rules. And then once we have built our truth off of our perspective and our reality, that then leads to action, and the action is that we leave the church because we felt so much shame and guilt when we were in it. And this is what, how we build our lives, but when we build our lives this way, it's extremely unstable. Anything that comes could just push it right over. Or, you know, another example, all of our friends are in a relationship. All of our friends are, are getting married or in a serious relationship. And so our perspective off of that reality is that I need to be in a relationship to be happy. And if I'm not, I'm not going to be happy because I don't get to be like how all my other friends are. The truth that we built off of that is that to be in a relationship means happiness, and if I'm ever going to be happy, my entire worth is based off of if a guy or a girl will like me. And then the action is that we idolize relationships. We begin to put relationships above everything else. We're constantly in a dating relationship that, that becomes an unhealthy trend in our lives. And after we act, if anything comes at us, our entire lives begin to topple because there is no strong foundation of truth when it comes to relationships. Or, you know, we, we look at the world and we see the reality of the world is that the rich and the famous and the well-known, they get so much better treated than the weak and the vulnerable and the poor. And so we begin to build this perspective that if I want to be well-liked, if I want to actually succeed in the world, that I need to make as much money as I can. And the, the dream of life is to make all the money and retire young and then go get a condo in Mexico and just walk on the beach and collect seashells every single day. And that's our perspective. And then the truth that we base off of that is that God, all God wants for us is to make money and build our lives off of wealth and popularity. And everything that we do, all of our actions from that are based off of trying to succeed in a way that the world wants us to succeed. And when we do that, anything that comes at our life threatens to topple it over and it begins to fall and it crashes down. And that's what so many of us, I think all of us, in some case, we do that. As we build our lives entirely based 
off of our reality, off of our experiences, off of our upbringing, instead of off of the truth. But what if, as a generation, as young adults in this community, we began to flip it upside down? What if we actually began to start with truth? What if we started with the knowledge that God is gracious and God is kind, and that although everyone has, has sinned, God is calling us back to him with an abundance of forgiveness? That changes our perspective then to believe that God loves us, that God cares, and that even when we mess up, he's calling us back with open arms and just wants us to run into them. And then our reality comes, and you see, the thing about reality is reality stays the same. The reality is still that churches are so broken and that we still have grown, grown up with a, in a lot of churches that were so judgmental and that put a lot of shame and a lot of guilt on us. But because our perspective and our truth have been built prior to this, we know that, that the church is just broken and that that was an inappropriate way for them to treat us. And so then that leads to our action, and our action isn't that we leave the church, the action is that we begin to build into the church, and that we begin to, to reverse everything that the church has done. We say the people that come after me are not going to experience that, are not going to experience the judgment of the church, but are actually going to experience the love and the forgiveness of Christ. We begin to, to build our truth, and we see that, that God has this incredible dream for our relationship, that God has this incredible dream for for our relationships with our families and our friends and also for a husband or a wife one day. And that God has created marriage to be this beautiful partnership between a man and a woman that he wants to give us to, to fulfill this, this desire that he's built in us. And it's this just incredible partnership as we get to do life together and build a family together if that's what, if that's what we decide we want to do. And so we start with that truth and our perspective is that God is going to give us an incredible relationship one day. That God is so faithful that he's that he fulfills all of his promises to us, and that if he has promised that to us, that he is going to fulfill his promise. And you know, our reality, our reality is the same. Our reality is that everyone around us is in a relationship, or so it seems. Everyone around us is married or dating, and everyone around us seems so happy in those relationships. But then our actions change that when we see those kind of relationships that we want, we don't just start to compare our lives, but we get, begin to celebrate in their stories. And we begin to pray for the husband or the wife that God is going to give us one day. And we don't just idolize relationships and go from one relationship to the next, but we actually search for who God might want us to, to be with and to look for the qualities that we know that God is calling us to be with, to partner with someone one day. Then we, we build a truth off of off of God's purpose for us. We build the truth off of the purpose that God has given us to, to know him more. That Acts 19, it talks about um, how we've been put in a specific time and place with a purpose to know God's love for us. That that's our entire purpose of life, is to know God's love for us, and when we know God's love for us, we're able to spread that love to other people and grow the kingdom of God. And so we start with that truth, and that changes our perspective, that when we look at the world, we look at the world through through God's eyes and how God's created other people and the purpose that God's given them and we want to, to help them to that purpose by showing them the kingdom of God and showing them the love of God. And our reality is the same that we live in a world where, where the rich and the powerful 
and the, the influential, they are so much better treated than the weak and the poor and the vulnerable. But our action changes. Our action becomes, I have been resourced by God for a purpose to grow the kingdom of God. And so when I see the world targeting the vulnerable, I'm going to go and bless them. I'm going to go and help them. I'm going to go and build them up and show them the greatness of God. You see how, how our realities can always stay the same, but our actions change. And then when stuff comes along, stuff comes to shake us. Our truth is there. Our truth is already laid, and it is a strong foundation to keep us up. This is what happens when we begin to build our lives the way that God has invited us to. going to get this big thing off the stage. Chelsea, if you want to come and take this, you can. There we go. I think that God has incredible dreams for us. I think he has incredible dreams for, for our generation. But those dreams cannot be fulfilled if we're just following the trends of the world and saying that we can speak whatever truth we want instead of speaking the truth that God has. You know, in, in the book Room, or in the, in the movie, um, it gets to the point, so Jack and his mom, they, they, uh, they escape the room, and they begin to build their lives, but Jack wants to go back to see the room one last time. And so for closure, his mom takes him back, and he walks into the room where he spent the first five years of his life, the first five years where he thought that that, that was the entire world, that that was the whole world. And he looks at it and he says, is this it? Is this actually all that it was? Now that I've experienced the whole world and the greatness of the world, I see that I was actually living so small. And I think that that's what happens with us. When we compare the, the truth that the world tries to give us compared to the truth of God, the truth that aligns with the will and the character and the glory and the being of God, we look back at the world and we think, see, was that it? Is that what all the fuss was about? Why, why would I have traded all of, all of this amazing truth and glory for something that was so small? And so real quick, just two practical ways that we can begin to rebuild our lives with the foundation of truth. And the first one is this. Figure out what is true. Figure out what you actually believe. I think so often we just throw words around and we actually don't know what we believe or why we believe it. Figure out what is true, and if you believe in Scripture, if you believe in the Word of God and that the Word of God is true, act like it. We can't pick and choose what we want to follow. If we believe that this book is true, we actually have to act like it. So figure out what is true. Read Scripture. Do research. Look into um, to just different theologians or, or communicators that can help you along. Ask questions. Ask your friends. Ask your family. Begin the dialogue, but figure out what is true and base your life off of the truth. And the second one is this. Speak the truth more than you just speak your truth. Your truth can be powerful. I think that Oprah was right. That when we speak our experience, when we speak our stories, that it can be incredibly healing and we can shed so much light onto dark areas. And that's why we share testimony videos every single week because we believe that people's stories are so powerful. But what I love about the testimonies every week is that people aren't just speaking their own truth. They're not just speaking their own experiences. They're actually speaking the truth about God. 
they're actually speaking, speaking about God's goodness, about God's faithfulness, about God's power in their life. And that is the power of speaking the truth. You know, when we just speak about our, our experiences, the world will just see the world. The world will just see a reflection of itself because that's what they've created. But when we speak the truth of God, the world gets to see something else. The world gets to see who Jesus is. John 14, 6 says, Jesus is speaking, says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is not just a concept. It's not just an idea. Truth is an actual person. And the incredible thing about this person, the person of Jesus, is that you don't have to believe in him for him to be true. His truth is not based off of your belief in him. You know, if I were to look outside on a cloudy night, I could say, I don't believe that there's stars. I don't believe that there's stars that exist. That doesn't make that true. The truth is that the stars do exist. Or I could say, you know, I don't believe that two plus two equals four. The truth is that two plus two still equals four. And I could say that I don't believe in the goodness of God, but God is still good. And I could say that I don't believe that God has a purpose for my life, but the truth is that God does actually have a purpose for your life and, and the purpose for your life is still there and his dream for your life is still there if you believe that it's there or not. You know, we could say, I don't believe in hope. I don't believe in getting out of this crappy situation. I don't believe that, that God is faithful or that God wants the best for me. But his goodness does not depend on your belief in it and he still has an incredible dream for your life. He still wants to give so much hope, a hope of a glorious future. And that's the faithful God that we serve, that he is still true even when we don't believe him or not. I know maybe, maybe you're in this room tonight and you don't believe in him. You know, we will never shy away from saying that we believe that he is the absolute truth and we want you to experience him. And sometimes it just starts with having a conversation. And so if you have any questions about any of this, we have a prayer team that's gonna be at the back during this song and they would love to just have that conversation with you. They would love to just explore who this person of Jesus is, who, who the truth is, what we believe to be true, what we believe scripture is saying. They would love to have that conversation with you. Or maybe you're in a place tonight where you believe it to be true, but you're just not feeling it, where you're feeling like life is just super hopeless, that you, know, you don't know how to continue on, you don't know how to move on. As a community, we always want to, to surround each other. I believe that that prayer is like advocacy, that when we pray for each other, we're advocating for each other, that we're, we're pointing out the areas that we need help in life, and we're saying, God, notice this person. Notice this and do something great in their life. And so I encourage you, if you need prayer, get prayer. That is what they're here for. I want us to be a praying community, and if you don't feel comfortable going to the prayer team, ask someone around you, because I think that's so important that we advocate for each other. But let me pray for you, and we're going to just go back into worship here. God, I thank you that, that you're still good even when we don't see it. That 
you're still working even when we don't feel it. That you are still faithful even when we can't see what you are doing and you still have incredible purpose for your life even when we don't know where we're going ourselves. And so God, I pray for any hopelessness in this room. I pray for any discouragement. I pray for anyone who is just feeling so alone. And God, I pray that you would just invade their lives, that you would show them what is true, that you would show them your will, that you would show them your character, your glory, and your being. God, I pray that you would just make it so clear what your truth is. And God, help us to rebuild our lives with your truth at the foundation instead of just building it like the rest of the world. We love you, and in Jesus' name, amen.